So I was in the middle of thinking of a theme for this week, and I realized that we've been covering a lot of serious stuff. Um, last week was probably one of the most serious episodes that I've covered. So this week, it, it'll be serious, but it won't be that serious. I'll explain. Um, but before I explain, you know, I'm going to do that thing where I play some music and then I'll explain. So listen to the song and I'll be right back. Alright, this might be like the most disjointed episode I ever record because I don't really have anything to report. Um, There's a lot always going on in the world. Russia's still invading Ukraine. More shootings going on in the United States. Mel even started a podcast, which I will link to later in this episode. There's nothing. That's what I was actually going to say before I interrupted myself with music. Like, there's nothing. I force myself to put these out about every week. Sometimes it's every other week. It just depends on how life works. And uh, Tuesday nights are pretty easy for me to record because that is the day before my one static day off. And I sit down at this desk where I have created a little bubble. Um, for recording podcasts, and I sit here usually for a good 20 or 30 minutes. Tonight was almost an hour. I do some research. I look around online. Um, Tonight, I spent more time trying to figure out how I can actively monitor my sound, which turns out, unless your microphone has uh, a monitor plug, you can't change your Chromebook to, like, play the sound that's coming out. So right now, this is the first time in probably like five or six podcasts where I'm just trusting that my voice sounds okay. I did like three test recordings on Anchor before this, and I'm not worried about, oh my God, does my voice sound right? I am just went from making fun of people who wear headphones while they were recording podcasts to now I don't know what to do if I can't hear myself while I'm speaking, so... I'm flying without a safety net. Um, that notwithstanding, how's it been? What's what's new? I don't I don't hear from many people or any people really, so I assume that the few listeners that I get are enjoying. Like I know for a fact that my wife listens. So hi, Mel. Thank you for listening to me on your way home or on your way to work or whatever it is that you've chosen to listen to the podcast on. Um, if I'm on the car stereo, I hope I sound like I'm right next to you in the car. And if you aren't listening to this on your car stereo, well, then what are you doing? Because you could hear me all around you, but you've chosen to just listen to me on headphones. Um. Yeah, Mel and I had a talk, her podcast, she's been doing a really good job of not doing ums and ahs, and I, um, uh, can't stop, so, (laughs) 
I only get to record in 30 minute increments, which she found hilarious when she recorded her podcast. Uh, she would sit there and right when you hear her about to run out of time, she's like, whoa, or oh my. And I was like, what are you falling off the bed while you're recording? But seriously, go give her a listen when you get a chance. It's totally worth it. As for me, I guess well, let's talk about personal finance. Um, because that's a thing that's come up in my marriage lately. Um, personal financing is uh, an area where I have a bit of familiarity. Um, when I was a little bit younger, I took out a whole bunch of credit cards and spent a whole bunch of money. And by a little bit younger, I mean like I was... Well, hell no. I was 25 or 26 when I did that. So that was about 15 years ago. Man, it's been a long time. Um, and anyway, so I spent a whole bunch of money that I didn't have. I was uh, going to school at the time, college, um, trying to get my four-year degree in psychology with a minor in criminal justice. And I was getting uh, taking on student loans to uh, pay for school because, you know, as you do in this country, like who pays for school anymore? You can't do that. That's not possible. I think school would have worked out to be $1,200 a month. And at the time I was paying, mm, I want to say probably about six or $700 a month in rent. And it was being split four ways because we were living in a house that was being mortgaged. And that was including all the utilities and everything every month. So things were pretty decent, but I got three or four credit cards. I probably got up to about $15,000 in debt. And then I started making some changes to my life that were not great. I um, suffered a loss in my life. Uh, someone was a pretty good friend of mine. Wouldn't go as far as saying best friends because he had a lot of friends we'd been around with since childhood. Uh, he lost his life in what appeared to be an accident. Still to this day, not sure, but it was an accident. And um, I had a couple years of questioning what I was going to do. Like, how was I going to handle life? So I had just left the only job that I'd had when I left, when I moved to Georgia, which was through the cable company at the time. I was working in call center doing tech support. I was making approximately $13 an hour, which at that moment was the most money I'd ever made. And again, I was maybe 25, 26 years old. So I did not know what to do with the money I just started making. And I left the job without a plan I uh, had no idea what I was going to do so I did the only thing I could do I started to budget and like okay how much do I need for rent well if I work at this job enough to get rent then I can quit and I can go find another job 
And it wasn't until just recently that I realized that I was battling quite a bit at that time. And I quitting my job was not the solution to it. And I didn't have anywhere to turn or anyone that could help me. Um, because nobody would recognize what was going on in my life at that time. And I couldn't really articulate to the right people what was happening. So they just saw me as being lazy and being emotional and just being some dumb kid who didn't really know what he was doing. And I'll admit that I didn't really know what I was doing, but I was processing a lot um, because the grief of the loss of the person that I lost uh, triggered an entire like avalanche of just horrible things. Of course, nothing that I like died from or <laughs> had to be hospitalized from, but um, yeah, suffice to say I made some bad financial decisions during that time, and this is a show about personal finance, so we're going to stay on topic as much as possible. So the credit cards that I had stopped getting paid, and then I started getting phone calls. And letters in the mail. And then as everything stopped getting paid. And now would be an excellent time to mention that I have not personally owned a motor vehicle in almost eight years. Um, and prior to those, that time when I had a vehicle, which was short, I mean, I that vehicle I owned was about a year. I had not owned any other motor vehicle prior to that. For almost six years. So in the 15 years it's been since I quit this cable company job where I was making good money and owned my own vehicle, I have owned one other vehicle since then personally. Um, I walk to work every day. I've been here for six years. Uh, coming up in September, it'll be six full years that we've been here. And I have walked to work most of the time. That's not every day. Um, excuse me at one point um, my wife and I both worked in or around the same part of Orlando and so we were able to kind of coordinate uh, a sharing of the vehicle situation where I could drive her to work and then drive myself back and then drop the car off for her so she wouldn't have to walk to my work uh, there were a couple of times where she insisted so that she could get some, you know, mileage on her shoes that day, so to speak. So we worked around the corner from one another or across the parking lot. Um, and then she got the job that she currently has, which is at Disney. And that kind of put the squash on us sharing vehicle the same way. So she currently takes the car to work every day. Her shifts typically start around 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. And my shifts currently start now around 2, 1.30, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I have a few shifts that start a little earlier than that. But um, with the way that we are working together right now, it makes things very complicated um, and sharing a car. So... One of the ways that I help keep costs low for us 
is by not having a second vehicle. Uh, there's no maintenance. <laughs> I buy a new pair of shoes maybe once a year, which reminds me, I actually probably should look into buying a new pair of work shoes. Um, but she and I have a variety of ways of cutting costs, if you will, and keeping the price points down so that we aren't uh, spending more money than we make. But I'm going to fast forward through my past. Um, not really. I'm just briefly touch on it because there's no need to break it down into detail when you've already heard the best parts, so to speak. So I, after this genius idea of just not paying off my credit card bills, um, I went through a relationship where things didn't end so well. And I was signed on to her lease when we first moved in. And by the time we, I left her, I was no longer on her lease. I was just staying in her place. So um, I got nothing out of the process. I wasn't even able to make payments on stuff. But this was getting towards the end of the seven years it normally takes for things to fall off your record. When magically, I was given some paperwork that a court in Fulton County, Georgia, and I was living in Georgia at the time, had been um, given a case brought by Capital One, that Capital One, by the way, that I had not paid on my debts from six years prior and that they were going to garnish my wages. And mind you, I had probably like six credit cards taken out of my name at that time. And this was just one of those six cards, but they waited until the end of six years. I filed a lawsuit in the state of Georgia, not even in the county I was in. I wasn't served with a record of the lawsuit. I wasn't allowed to represent myself at trial. And I had my garnish, my wages garnished just, just that quickly. Um, imagine that. I, I, my shock. So I immediately um, reached out to the company I worked for at the time, which was a large national coffee chain and asked, you know, what should I expect? And they said, there, there's no punishment for, you know, they have people getting their wages garnished for a variety of things. Again, it's a coffee chain. All kinds of humans work here. And that basically whatever the amount was, as long as it, you know, didn't exceed the amount of my paycheck, there shouldn't be any issues. And to be fair, there weren't. But they were taking a substantial amount of money out of my check. I mean, it was over $150 a week. And... At this particular place, you get paid bi-weekly, so $150 a week is $300 a paycheck. And they did that for approximately six months until they considered the debt satisfied. And that was one of the reasons why I, of course, have two more credit cards with them now that I am financially secure. But we're really not. We're going to save that for another time, because that is not the point. Point of the financial security talk is I don't feel like we do a very good job in this country 
of explaining to people how our credit system works and how to make the credit system work for you. So I am going to take a few moments to explain to you how the credit system works. I'm going to cite some resources. I'm going to use some facts. And then I'm going to explain to you how to make the credit system work for you. But first, we need to take a time trip back in time. So we're back prior to the invention of Visa and MasterCard. Um, we'll go not too far back, but far enough to the beginning of the 20th century. That'd be like 1900, 1901. Um, when you didn't have money and you wanted to pay for something, it was typically reserved for groceries. Um, your local store would open up something they would call a tab. And the tab would typically be paid out at the end of the week or at the end of every other week or at the end of the month, basically on your pay cycle. And you could go in there and you could charge items to your tab. Gallon of milk, dozen eggs, loaf of bread, you name it. If the store sold it, it could go on your tab. But basically, that was a very early form of credit. And somewhere along the way, um, someone decided that there could be an easier way to do that if we created accounts and we merged the tabs from just, you know, a simple ledger in a book to an actual account. And we moved all of that over to a system that we now know and love today. Um, but we don't love it. We just know it as the uh, credit system. And there are currently three credit bureaus in the United States, Equifax being one of them. Equifax is the one that I use the most because that's the one I'm most familiar with through a previous job. Um, but I believe TransUnion is one of the other ones, and I promise I will find the third one in a few moments. But um, basically, these are companies that are tasked with the, um, I'm going to say the composition of your data. Basically, they keep all of your info on hand at any moment in time, and they um, have the ability to tell uh, credit card agencies and other financial you know, institutions, banks and whatnot, um, whether or not you are what they call credit worthy. So do you deserve a loan for a new car? Should you get a new line of credit? Should you get a mortgage for a house? Do you deserve, you know, the line of credit that your uh, dentist is trying to open up so that you can go get your wisdom teeth pulled out. Uh, anything that has to do with credit, loans, any kind of financing, personal finance. Um, they are one of three of the companies that manage the data. Um, and it's not a horrible process but it is a very convoluted process and it in some ways is kind of hard to understand because no one really understands how credit functions 
Like, do you get it when you turn 18? Does it, does it just automatically pop up at some point? Like, how does credit work? Well, are we in for a treat? And by treat, I mean a painful explanation because credit is actually something that's been established by these three companies. Uh, and it's a way for them to kind of figure out who has a good payment history. Basically, if you borrow $1,000 and then you pay back $1,000, you have a high credit score. That, that's the simplest way of, of explaining it. If you took out a loan for $1,000 and you paid back the loan for $1,000, you have a high credit score. It's a little oversimplified, but that's it. But the problem is, is who says that you can get the loan for $1,000? And that's where the problems start. So you can have good credit, you can have bad credit, and you can have no credit. Those three ratings have some space in between them. Like there is a there is a rating in between no credit and bad credit where it's just really like terrible credit. And then there's a space between bad and good where it's like average. Average is still better than bad credit. No credit is the hardest one. No credit means you have never done anything that's on record with any of the three credit reporting agencies. So just because you went to the bank and you took out a loan from the bank and you paid it back doesn't mean that that bank reported that information to one of the three major credit bureaus. Just because you went to Rent-A-Center and you bought a living room set and you ended up paying three times as much for it, which we will get to, does not mean that Rent-A-Center reported that purchase to the credit bureaus. One of the more common ones when I was growing up is a company called Fingerhut, which used to get my grandmother in trouble all the time. Fingerhut would give you credit. Basically, your name pops up on a list. You're over 18. Congratulations. Fingerhut's going to give you credit. And Fingerhut would, just like Rent-A-Center, charge slightly more than the value of the product because that's actually how they made their money. So if uh, we all know that a PlayStation 4 cost $400, well, when you're done paying for it, Fingerhut's going to charge you closer to $600. Just the nature of the beast. And that's actually exactly how Rent-A-Center works, too. If a living room set at Rent-A-Center retails for $1,200, when you're done paying for it, it's probably going to be closer to thirty, well, $3,000. Um, because that's just, again, the way they work. And that's even if you haven't finished paying it off, as you might not finish paying it off. Typically, the people that shopped at Reddit Center, in my professional opinion, weren't the type that wanted to keep the product the entire time. I only ever bought one thing from Reddit Center, and that's how I know about them. I bought a laptop computer. Um, I didn't have any credit, and this was during the pre-good credit days. So this was the no credit days. I had done a little damage to my credit when I was 18 and taking out a credit card and doing the exact same thing. And you think I would have learned about it seven years later, but that's not the point. So when I was like 25, I realized I needed a computer to do the online classes that I was going to be taking to be a psychology student. Anyway, I went to Rent-A-Center, I bought a computer, but I paid it off in full. And I actually remember, clear as day, the last day I went in there to make a payment, 
the guy behind the counter is like, wow, you actually paid this thing off. That's very rare. And I went, is it? And he went, yes. Most times people just either don't finish paying it off or they come back and turn it back in and they just get out of paying for something. So they had a lot of products that they would sell through a third party vendor. And that's another place they'd make all kinds of money because, you know, if someone's only had a sofa for a little while and they sell it as a used sofa, they got paid from the guy while he was renting it. They're going to get paid the difference when they go to sell it. Problem solved. Everyone's happy. They make all their money. But onward. So when you establish credit, no credit means you have nothing. You have nothing on record. And no credit is really hard to get out of. Um, because that is basically like you showing up to the bank with no money and asking for money. The bank doesn't want to hear that. They want to know what can you do for them. So you're going to have to prove that you have a job, which for most of us is not a problem. We all, for the most part, we all work. Um, some of us don't work as much as others, and some of us don't make as much as others. But you know, suffice to say, you have a full-time job anywhere, and by full-time, I'm going to use the definition of anything 32, 34 hours a week or up, because you know, full-time is, my opinion, full-time is 40 hours. It's always been 40 hours a week, but we can get lower as the uh, wage increases. We can drop that number down a little ways. Anyway, so we'll say 32 hours and up a week is full-time job, and you go into a bank and you ask for a loan. You prove that you have a full-time job and that you've been there for a long time. And by a long time, they're looking for something more than a year or two. In most cases, if you have been at that job in six months, some banks will take that into consideration. But if you've been at your job for more than a year and you have no credit and you have no credit card and you were looking to do something in the future, like buy a car or buy a house, you are going to need to do something with your credit. But you need to do something with your credit in an intelligent way, in an intelligent way. You cannot just go and get a whole bunch of credit cards and start flipping money around. And yes, there is an intelligent way to do this. And please take lessons from me. The intelligent way to do this is get a credit card, something they call a secured credit card. Secured credit cards, pretty easy to get. Uh, there are tons of companies that offer them out there. You can actually go onto a website called creditkarma.com. It will basically verify who you are. And I'm pretty sure it's either a TransUnion or Equifax website. So don't think that you're uh, getting out of one of the big three credit card bureaus. But basically the point of the, when you go on their website is that you are going on there to verify your identity. And then you are going on there to sign up for a credit card. A secured credit card is going to give you an option to put up an amount of money in most cases, is fairly low. They will want $250, $300. And then the line of credit that they're going to extend to you is only for the amount of money that you gave them. So if you put up 
$500 for a secured line, uh, Visa, MasterCard, whatever it is, you will only get a $500 credit line. And then an indeterminate amount of time occurs. It's typically six months. Sometimes it's as long as a year. But basically, if you use the card responsibly, they will increase your credit line. They may ask for more of a deposit, but then they may not. And if they don't ask for more of a deposit, that's a good sign because that means you're actually rebuilding your credit. The trick here is it's not quick, though. It's not fast at all. So if you are under 18 and you are looking forward to the future, when you turn 18, look into a secured line of credit. Another way that you can get your credit score on the upside is by using some of these sites or some of these places like Renaissance or Finger Hut. You could also try for gas station cards, um, which typically have a much lower threshold for credit score. And they also start you off with a much lower amount. Like I got a shell card, I think one time and it had like a hundred or $150 credit limit on it. And I was able to maintain that very well. But that's if you have no credit. If you have bad credit, bad credit's a little different. If the credit scale goes up to 800 from zero to 800 and bad credit would be anything in the 200 to 600 point range, which trust me, the 200 point range exists. I would say there's a 100 point range, but I've yet to see anything lower than a two or 250 on the credit score scale. Um, if you have bad credit, bad credit's a little bit easier to work with and tends to give you some better results in a short amount of time. But the trick with bad credit is learning why your credit is bad so that you can fix it. So when you learn why your credit is bad, you actually have an opportunity or a chance to really make it better. Um, for some people, they realize that when they moved out of that last apartment, that they didn't get their security deposit back because apparently there was still an extra month's rent that was due, even though the lease was up. Look on your credit report. You can actually get a free copy of your credit report from any of the three um, local, local, uh, three national credit reporting agencies. Uh, all you have to do is go to their websites and you can find out who has what uh, info on you and then what they are talking to each other about you. Um, I also realized that the one that I was missing is called Experian, which is funny because there's, if you just use the first letter of each one, it's T, like T he he or teeing off. So it's TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian. And all you really have to do is go to one of them or go to all three of them. You can get one report per calendar year or not per calendar year, per 365 days. Basically, if you get a credit report on June 1st, you can get another credit report on June 1st the following year. So you can effectively stagger it out every, what they call in my job, tertial, 
which would be every four months. And you just go in and get yourself a new copy of a credit report from a different agency, and you can kind of monitor it that way. Um, all three of them are weighed equally. Some people use Equifax, some people use Experian, some use TransUnion, but they all, all the banks use different, you know, means testing for you when it comes to whether or not they want to give you a loan. Um, when you get to these websites and you are able to figure out what it is that's causing the problem, again, maybe you had a misguided parent in your life who used your name as a child to set up their cell phone service or set up the cable bill or set up the power bill and just never saw fit to pay that bill off. And it is now on your credit report for all eternity because, you know, they don't live in that state anymore. And not that I'm speaking from experience or anything, but that's a thing that could happen. And that could explain why your credit is absolute trash. So go on to these websites, get your free credit report. And try to figure out what it is that is causing your bad credit. Now, once you figure out what is causing your bad credit, try to fix it. And I know that sounds very simple, trying to fix it. But seriously, try to fix it. It could be as easy as contacting the company that has the negative report on you and seeing what kind of options they offer. In some cases, it's been set sent to a debt collector who bought it from the original company for you know a fraction of what it was worth and they'd be willing to consider your account settled if you just pay them a small amount of money compared to the overall debt i've seen accounts get settled for thousands of dollars for as little as a thousand dollars sometimes it's less than that the other thing that you can do in your credit report is you can dispute charges um if you were in the situation that I described in the hypothetical, where it was an older uh, relative that took advantage of you as a child, you can provide information to Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion that would help remove that from your record, um, as well as filing police reports and things like that. You can actually get them to challenge some of the reporting and dispute it, if you will. So if you have bad credit, there are solutions out there for you to fix it. It just involves you needing to put in the work. And then once you get the bad credit resolved and get the issues off of your report, those can take some time in order to update with the rest of the world. So don't be surprised if your bad credit sticks around for just a little while longer once everything's resolved. A great example of how that could affect you this is a different way. Um, when my wife and I first came down here to look for an apartment, we actually went through the same uh, leasing company that we went through. Now, we just were at a different one of their properties here in Orlando. And when we applied for the apartment, we were denied. And when we were denied, we were told it's because Mel had an outstanding balance with another rental company. Which was strange because Mel swears, you know, it was paid off. And she was told by her parent that it was paid off. Why was she asking? It was paid off. Why would I lie to you? Well, as you could imagine, 
Said parent was lying and it was not paid off. Said parent did not pay it off because it was not important to said parent to pay it off. So Mel and I had to make an idea up pretty quickly about how we were going to pay off this debt. And we managed to, for me, I managed to secure some additional funds from my employer at the time. Surprise to me. And we were able to get the money paid off in a roundabout way and get her report cleared up so that we could then reapply. We didn't bother reapplying to the place that we applied to the first time. So we were afraid that they were going to deny us again. And we ended up at the place that we are now, which is ironic only because this was the first place we looked at when we came down here in the first place. And we ended up coming here. This place didn't have a washer and dryer. And it is still one of the main reasons why I am not entirely happy with where we live. But that is my problem. So, while that would not have affected her credit card ability, because we were still able to obtain a credit card through another company, a wholesale company, um, it would affect your ability to move in. So, that'll show on your credit report as well. Your credit report isn't just about your loans. It's about anything. I mean, utilities that have been open. Anything that's on there that you see as a problem... And if it's something as simple as you can explain it because you weren't personally the, you know, you weren't the one that opened the account, get on that now, you know, go in there, look up your credit report, see what's happening and get it fixed because you're the only one that can fix it. It's your credit report. That's not on anyone else to fix your credit report problems. So if you have a problem and you are looking to do something cool in the future, where you buy a house or a car or a big purchase, you're going to want your credit report to be in good shape before you do that. So get on it. Now, for those of you with good credit scores, you already are on the right path. And my financial advice is not really going to help you. My financial advice for good credit report people is to just keep doing what you're doing. Good credit comes with a whole host of benefits. Uh, not only will you be approved for credit cards, but you get mortgages and you get car loans and you get larger loans for larger things. You could even start a business. You get a small business loans from the bank. I mean, really, the opportunities are endless if you have good credit. So if you have good credit, take care of it. It's important to foster it. And there's something to mention to everybody. If you're in the good credit category and you have a credit card open, there's a very slim chance that that credit card line will be closed as long as you have good credit. You may ask, what do I mean by that? Okay, so let's just say you have three credit cards currently active in, in your life and you are in the middle of getting the third one paid off when you don't need to use them anymore. And by don't need to use them, I mean like you're not planning to use them for a little while because you've got all the benefits out of them and you just don't want to do anything with them. Well, if they sit there empty, they're not going to close those accounts, at least not right away, because you still have good credit. 
if anything, you not using them may cause them to contact you and say, hey, uh, we have some great deals for you. Now we're willing to reduce your interest rate or we're willing to increase your credit limit because again, they want to have you spend money and they want to have you spend more money than you can afford because that's how they make money. That annual percentage rate. We can get into compound interest and all of that stuff, but I that's not really useful. I don't really find a benefit in talking about how the math works. Just suffice it to say that if you have a credit card and you have good credit, you don't need to constantly charge something on it. On the flip side, if you can afford to charge something on it and pay it back off instantly, you're only doing yourself a favor. So every so often using the credit card isn't bad. I only bring that up because I had a, a young lady in the store not too long ago who was afraid that, you know, the bank was going to close the credit card. She hadn't used it in a while. And I asked, I said, listen, I'm not personal finance minister. I'm not. Again, all the advice in this episode is readily available on the internet and has been compiled over the last 20 years of my existence. So I'm sharing with you firsthand knowledge and experience in an environment where the information changes very slowly. The reporting doesn't. The reporting is faster than I think it's ever been. And somebody can find out about you in seconds. But the point here is, if you have a credit card with a company and you don't charge something on to it every day or every month, every week, as long as your credit score is good, you're fine. Conversely, if you're in the bad credit category, you have a problem. You should be charging something onto it at least once a month. And I don't mean something large. You can charge a pack of gum onto a credit card and pay it off. And that still counts as utilizing your credit. But you shouldn't let any credit card that you have, if you're in the bad credit category, where you have like a 600 or lower credit score, and something to mention, the free credit score will allow you to access your credit score. It also gives you a report, but it will show you a sample of your credit score. So you'll know where you fall. But if you're in that 600 and below category, that is considered below average credit. So you should be utilizing whatever credit card you have, charge a tank of gas on it. As soon as it gets charged to the account, sign in online, pay it right back off. Don't let these bills just sit and hang. Because the longer that they sit and hang, if the amount gets too high, the banks start freaking out. And they can and will close accounts with balances on them and cite their observations of your credit utilization getting too high as a reason for shutting your account down. I know this because Synchrony Bank, who I will call out here, allowed me to open up a Amazon store card, or I should say an Amazon store card, which was only available for use at Amazon.com. I could not use it anywhere, couldn't even use it inside the store at the time. The Whole Foods merger had not gone through. And I charged a few things onto it. By a few, I mean, I think my balance at one point was like maybe $300. But we were in the process of paying it off, which was a genuine thing. We were paying it off. And then Corona hit. And I hadn't even had the account for six months. 
and the balance was getting down to, I think we we're down to about $150. So as the money was coming in from the federal government due to us being unemployed temporarily, we were funneling the money right back where it belonged. We were paying down some of our debts. We were doing great. And then Synchrony Bank sent me a letter in the mail saying that my effective immediately my account had been closed and that any remaining balance that was due would be, you know, due on the next statement. And I think the balance at that point, you know, we had gotten it down to about 50 bucks. So I just went ahead and paid the rest of it off, figuring I figured that I had a little more time to make one more payment, which I did. But I didn't realize they were going to close my account. And that was because during the coronavirus pandemic, a lot of companies started freaking out because people were losing their jobs. and They saw employment numbers going up. So the banks just reacted. And as I make loud noises and then just like that, Nathano snap, everything was gone. So if you are in the no credit category, you should still do the same thing. Even if you're just using the secured cards, charge a tank of gas on it. I mean, just remember that you only make so much money. One of my favorite tips, now that we've gotten through the credit side of it, I used to be a fan of a program that I'm not going to mention because I'm not a fan of how they are managing their company anymore. But they used to make a standalone program that sat on your computer and you could personal finance your way out of debt with this program. And it went under the basic principle that you get paid a certain amount every month and you may work a little overtime, but every dollar that you get needs to be doing something for you. There's no such thing as free money and there's no such thing as unaccounted for money. Meaning if you get paid a thousand dollars every month, that thousand dollars has a purpose. Your rent might be $400 and your cable bill might be a hundred dollars and your phone bill might be $300. But that doesn't mean that you have $200 left over to do whatever you want with. That means that $200 needs to be doing something. It needs to be assigned to something. So they would have you break your finances down into categories and create a few static categories. So one of the things that I did when I first used the program is I put myself up with my monthly bills. And at the time, I had a category for my phone bill, which when I was living with my previous in my previous relationship, I still paid my own phone bill. Um, and then for a little while I paid her phone bill too, but I had a category for the phone bill and then I had a category for, um, car insurance when I had the car and those were my two monthly recurring costs. Now you may ask yourself, but I thought he said he was living with somebody and that is where the crazy starts, but we're going to stay out of crazy. We're going to stay out of crazy tonight. I'm not, I'm not here for crazy. It's not worth it. So I had my two monthly bills. And then I had, you know, what else was I planning to do with it? Well, I was trying to pay off some debts. And I had started to pay back some of the companies that I had run into some trouble with. Um, prior to this, it was probably about five years prior to this part in the story, I had pulled up one of my credit reports during that time. 
and I had found out that I actually owed a bank money from when I was 18. I had a checking account that I had overdrawn and just never paid back. And that kept me from getting a checking account. It's crazy, right? The banks put me into a system where I would never be allowed to get a checking account ever again. Until I paid back the amount from the first checking account. And to be fair, I don't think it was a very large amount. It was maybe 140, 150 bucks. But I had overdrawn my checking account and then just walked away. And up until that point, I use those prepaid cards or those direct deposit cards, which are just loaded with fees. Like, you are so much worse off using those cards than you are opening a checking account, which is going to be my next point. Um, but I digress. So I finally got around to open up a checking account, which I did through a credit union because I realized I was not ever going to go back to a traditional bank again. So Bank of America, out. Um, who else we got around? Truist now, gone. Uh, there was fifth, third around here for a little while. Not a thing. Citibank is actually here in Orlando. Nope. I will never use a large commercial bank ever again. Um, they are great for large businesses who need some place to go and want to do business with some place that has a lot of locations. As far as I'm concerned, they are not great for independent people or small, you know, everyday Joes, as you will, because all they do is take complete and total advantage of their position in financial world and drag everyone down into the dirt. If you don't have money or you don't have much money and you use one of these companies, they're going to make sure that the little bit of money you have stays with them and not with you. There's always a um, famous routine where someone talks about them only having, you know, $9 left in their checking account and them wanting to take the $9 out. But there's no way for the bank to give you $9 because you can't take out anything smaller than a 10 And then you can't technically leave your checking account empty. So when you go inside, the teller's going to tell you that they can't give you your money because you can't leave the checking account empty without closing it. So you having $9 is effectively worthless. You don't really have $9. The bank has $9. And I will say to you that there are perks to having a checking account that can help you in the long run. And that if you are currently using one of those prepaid debit cards or one of the um, check cashing debit cards that many businesses now offer where they'll offer to load your check onto a debit card, that it would be in your best interest to look into getting yourself a checking account. The checking account can actually help you in a lot of ways. And not the least of which is depending on what bank you go through. If you stay a member of the bank for a while, they will help you find loans for houses and cars. And when it comes time for your big ticket items, you may actually have a lot more options just by doing business with this bank than you would ever have had before. I will strongly encourage anyone listening, if you are not already with a credit union, 
find someone who is and ask if they can recommend you to be a member if they're if you're not in a position to become a member on your own um the credit union we currently deal with is exclusive to people who work for this particular theme company theme park company <laughs> and if you were interested in joining you absolutely could with one of the referrals from my wife so I, I can't stress enough to you that the credit union way of going about things is going to be a much better, much more sane experience for you. Back on the fun. What else are we going to talk about for personal financing? Well, one of the other things that we can talk about are this budgeting program. Budgeting program that I started talking about a moment ago was a wonderfully designed program by a group of people out in Utah. And I liked it until they turned it into a subscription model. And the only reason is because I understand they introduce new features and they have to finance those new features. However, if you're trying to teach me about budgeting, you're not doing a great job by taking my money once a month. <laughs> like, what better way to teach you about budgeting than for you to have to budget $10 a month to keep using this? It wasn't $10 a month. I think it's like 3 or 20 or something like that. I think your subscription is like maybe 50 or 60 bucks. But the point is, they switched over to that model because they made so many improvements to the product. They didn't know how to recoup the costs of maintaining the database that they use where they actually let you sync up your accounts in real time, which was a feature, not a flaw. I'm not slighting them in the least. The improvements they made on their product was amazing. I just not a fan of paying a yearly fee when I bought one version of their software. And granted, I can't use it on any of my devices now, even on the new Chromebook because they've decertified it, no longer gets updates, and Mac won't allow you to install something if it's too old. And my Chromebook can't run anything unless it's in the Google Play Store. This is definitely not available for that without paying the monthly fee. So... The important point here is budgeting is a very important tool. Budgeting should be looked at as a zero-sum game, meaning when you are done budgeting, you have zero dollars left over. Every single one of your dollars should be doing something. And even if that something is just sitting there, that is doing something. It has a job to do. So in your experience... It is important for you when you get paid not to pay yourself, but to pay your bills. That's the most important thing you can do. And look, I'm a big fan of like the $2 Kit Kat at the checkouts or, you know, buy yourself some little you know Starbucks drink. I'm not going to sit here and tell you don't get avocado toast and a nice coffee in the morning because that's not going to help. That's not how you personal finance your way out of this isn't by that. You personal finance your way out of this by looking at how many monthly subscription boxes are you currently signed to? How many streaming services are you currently paying for? Um, do you even realize that you get a makeup package in the mail every month and that costs you 10 bucks and you practically throw it out when it comes in? You're throwing away $10 a month. Like that $10 could be doing something else for you. It's not going to help you buy a new house. <laughs> But it could help you pay your light bill. It could be important for gas, with the gas being almost $5 a gallon here in Florida, and I'm sure over $5 a gallon in the rest of the country. 
that $10 a month is so important. And it's important any other time, but it's especially important now. So when you are thinking about budgeting, think about my favorite phrase to tell people. I work in retail. And the number of times people come in and ask if things are on sale is mind-numbing. Not mind-boggling. It's mind-numbing. I genuinely, it's like, how does that affect your need for the product? And then the second thing, that notwithstanding, the second point to make is, you are not saving money when you are spending money. And I'm going to say that again, but in a different way. If a product was $100 and it is now $89, you're not saving $11. You are spending $89. Think about that. You. It doesn't matter if you need it. It doesn't matter if it's a requirement. You are still spending $89. That's it. You spent less money. Correct, but you didn't save money. As a trick that they use on all of us, it's a psychological trick that they use on everybody to convince you that you're saving money. You're not saving money. Saving is the opposite of spending. Those two words can't be in the same sentence. It's like saying you shot someone to life with a, with a shotgun. You can't do that. It's not possible. You can't like shoot them in the heart and they'll stay alive. It doesn't work. Shotguns are designed to inflict damage on things. They're not in designed to like bring people back to life. Not yet. We haven't gotten there. Maybe Star Trek will help us with that. We can use those cool tricorders or whatever. But the point is saving is not spending. So stop justifying your spending when you say you spent less money on something, you didn't save money, you spent less. Try that out for a little while, see how it fits. All of this isn't meant to say, I am not a professional finance guide. I am not a professional personal finance person. I have gotten myself into debt more times than I care to admit currently we are in debt and it doesn't look great for us. But the point is, is with a little bit of discipline and a little bit of knowledge, the money that you make every month can actually help you in a lot of ways. And not all of those ways are going to get you like, you know, a $5 million house at the edge of Bay Hill overlooking a golf course that has a great view of the fireworks going off at Magic Kingdom every night. But you can live comfortably if you learn where your strengths and weaknesses are. My strength happens to be in counting pennies and like booking. Mel and I share responsibilities in our marriage. And one of the responsibilities that I took on over the last few years was paying the bills. Paying the bills isn't that hard. It's timing the bills to come out right. I got something I want to talk about with you and then I'll be right back. We'll wrap this up nicely, but just sit tight for a moment. I, I just got to get this off my chest. All right. Now that I got that out of the way, thank you for listening. By the way, you're helping me pay the bills, personal finance, right? 
as you tune yourself in to how you're spending and why you're spending things and why you feel like you need something when you don't or vice versa, you don't need something when you do, just be aware of all of the ways that our heavily commercialized society has got you thinking. Like I said in just before, <laughs> the point of what I'm trying to say to you is saving and spending are not the same thing. You can't save and, and then call it spend. You can't spend and then call it saving. It doesn't, they, they're not interchangeable. You can say you're spending less, but you can't say you saved money on something. That's not how it works. You didn't save anything. You spent less money. Period. That's it. When you are dealing with personal finance, it is absolutely important to remember is a social construct and since it's a social construct and it's designed by humans it's a system that you can beat when you know how to get around one of the ways to get around is to play responsibly and don't give in to overwhelming or too good to be true offers or things that you feel like you could possibly do with but then do without because in all honesty it's not going to work out well for you and all you're going to end up doing is potentially defaulting on a bunch of loans and getting your paychecks garnished or you're going to have to do something called filing for bankruptcy and there are different levels of bankruptcy to file for your student loans can't fold in there if you signed a promissory note you signed away your ability to declare bankruptcy on your student loan. So let me just get that out of the way. Uh, your medical bills most likely can't go in there, but that's not true in all circumstances. And that's something you'd want to address with a lawyer if you actually did file for bankruptcy. A lawyer can answer that question much better for you than I ever will be able to. Not all medical debt is considered bankruptable, so to speak, um, but some medical debt can fall into that category. Elective surgery would be something like cosmetic surgery is something that you could definitely fold in there. But again, that's on a case-by-case and a state-by-state basis. Um, but bankruptcy is a serious thing. Bankruptcy takes seven years to come back from. It is not an easy solution. And it takes a while to go into effect. So it's not even like when you file it that you're instantly out from underneath the, the crazy. You used to have to notify all these companies that it's you, your petition went through, the court approved it. And then you have to get them to like understand that they need to stop calling you. And they still can for a while. It might take some time. But you can remove the debt by paying a lawyer. <laughs> to help you remove the debt and i only find that funny because like the court filing costs in the state of florida run about 400 dollars, but the amount of work you need to do to actually you know achieve the filing and the petition to get it signed you're better off just paying the lawyer whatever the fee they charge and in most cases i'm gonna 
assume based on their hourly rates, most lawyers probably charge you for the entire thing somewhere around six or seven hundred dollars, just basically about double what it would cost. Because there's like two or three hours worth of work they actually have to do once the forms are filled out, which you probably will end up doing because you're the one with all the information you're going to be doing by giving them the data to put in the form. Or you may actually be doing by filling out the form itself. I don't know. I, we haven't been there yet. But the short version is it's not a bad idea to have a lawyer help you walk through the process and just give them money. Um, and I'm not here to advocate for lawyers. I don't necessarily think they're the greatest profession in the world, but they are definitely better than police. So, you know, they got that going for them. But definitely take a professional advice from a lawyer and they can actually guide you on your journey as to what you can put into the bankruptcy. Um, but that's in the most extreme cases. If you're only a couple thousand dollars in debt and you can budget your way out of it, take advantage of it. But that budgeting your way out of it is not a panacea. It's not a catch-all phrase for you're not getting paid enough and you don't deserve to, you know, be in a union and negotiate your wages and personal finance your way out of personal financing. You should still be getting paid the right amount of money for what you're doing. And if you aren't working someplace that is paying you well, unionize and demand that they pay you better. And if you can't unionize, try to find a better job or at least a better paying job. Not all better paying jobs are better jobs. As I've learned many times in my life, I have worked at places where I was going to be offered to be paid, you know, 16 or $17 an hour. But unfortunately, a call center, a call center environment is not where I thrive. I learned that the hard way. After four years at one call center, I left to go work in another call center for the cell phone industry. and I made it a magical 90 days to which I left that call center and worked a few other jobs in between, which we'll come to at another time. And I went to a third call center with uh, another cable industry. And it was in that third call center that I actually left my job on my last day, went back to my coffee shop job, asked for full-time hours again, was pretty much granted them, picked them up for the rest of the week, and then turned in my badge when they called me because they were afraid I was still going to try to get access to the building with the electronic proximity badge that I had. But I went and I turned my badge in and there wasn't anything on my desk because I never really brought anything to work. And that was it. That was the end of my call center days. That doesn't mean I would never, ever, ever go back to a call center. It would just have to be very, very stringent. Um, and the new work from home thing might actually drive me back into a call center at some point. But that's neither here nor there. The important takeaway from this show, this particular podcast, is that personal finance is not the monster it seems to be. You just got to be willing to do some work. And try not to take on more than you can actively pay off. At no point on your credit cards should you ever have a maximum limit met. If you are spending so much money that you are maxing out your credit cards, you are doing something incorrectly and you should course correct as soon as possible. That is not the way to manage them. You, you can't. If you have three credit cards that have $6,000 balances on them and all three are close to $6,000, something is wrong because what you're not hearing me say is that's $18,000, right? 
You have $18,000 in credit card debt and you don't have a second car? That doesn't make sense. What could you have possibly spent $18,000 on? And that's where things need to, you know, dial back a little. So if you have a few credit cards, one of the other tips that I can give you, when you are looking for credit cards, look for the ones that have best rewards that work for you. I currently have three credit cards that I'm actually a big fan of and a fourth one, which I'll get into in a second. Um, one of them is through the phone that I currently own. It's from It's made by the company that makes the phone. And the reward on that card is that they give me 3% cash back instantly, though. It's not like per month. Like if I were to go online right now and buy something that was $100, there would be $3 in this little account right away that I would be able to use within like at, at most within like a few hours. But that to me is invaluable because I can use that $3 anywhere I want. So basically that's like giving you, you know, giving me $3 off of a $100 purchase. That's if you use that right in a year, I mean, especially right now, again, with the price of gas, if I use this card to pay for gas every time I went to the gas station, I would effectively be getting about, you know, $3 back for every tank fill since it was a worked it out the other night, since it's about $80 to fill up a tank of gas right now. But it's the little things like that for that card that, that do amazing. Uh, another card is actually a store card that I have um, through the store that I work for. And that also affords me a percentage of my purchases back 3%, 2%, or 1%, depending on what I'm spending on. But I get that money back in the form of credit at my store. So I can use that as a little gift card and go in there when we run out of, you know, candles or I need another coffee mug or, you know, just something, break something and I need to replace it. I can go into my store with those little gift cards and I can pay it back. And the third card I, I have to bring up because of where I am and who I'm with will be our Disney card. Um, because the Disney card actually gives you the rewards back as Disney credit. Like they give us a little card and we can put the little card, put the money on the little card and we can use it at Disney and spend it on whatever we want at Disney. It's basically like a Disney gift card. And again, I think it's 5%, 3%, and 1%. Just depends on what you spend it on. But of course you get the biggest reward when you spend it at Disney. So all in all, those four cards are, are pretty solid, but did I say the fourth card? I don't think I did. The fourth card is the PlayStation card. And I don't even need to really explain that for you. Uh, that card lets me get free PlayStation stuff. Sometimes it's free gift cards. Sometimes it's free controllers. And by free, I mean like they give me points to shop in their little online store. It's Don't get me wrong. It's not the greatest thing in the world, but it's not horrible either. But... Those are the cards that I like. I mean, we also have a Costco card for that warehouse. Um, pretty sure she's got a Nordstrom card somewhere, which there's only a Nordstrom rack down here. There's not an actual Nordstrom. And then um, there's a there's a handful of other cards. I do have two cards from Capital One, and that's on me. But right after I rebuilt my credit, they were the first company to reach out to me with two $750 or $800 limit cards. And hey, I've got them maxed or pretty close to max right now, but you know what? In the long run, they'll get paid off, right? In any event, 
I have spent the better part of the last hour droning on about personal finance for an episode that I seemingly did not know what it was going to be when it started. So I think I did all right. Also, I think this microphone's okay. It's just really weird without being able to hear myself. So I'm going to try to figure that out in the future. And also, uh, we are getting rid of a MacBook this week. Um, about three years ago, Mel and I went to Costco and kind of, not impulse bought, but bought a MacBook on a whim that unfortunately didn't meet the minimum specs of what she needed to continue making videos and podcasts and things like that. So I felt, in, in, yeah, it was just important for me to get her a new one. And as a result, we have two MacBooks at this time. And hopefully in the not too distant future, we will be down to just one again. But uh, I am not recording this on that MacBook. I'm actually recording this on my Chromebook, which is sitting on top of the MacBook, <laughs> which is why I'm bringing it up because I, uh, she and I recently just like reformatted it. Um, and it's an older, it's not older, but it's a weird version where like you couldn't just do the traditional reformat. You had to like go in and erase both of them and, Anyway, so it was a little sad moment when the little hello screen popped up because, you know, you get so excited normally when you see the hello screen on a Mac. If you're not a Mac user, be with somebody when they set up their Mac for the first time. You'll understand what I mean. It's just really simple, and it happens on any Mac product, even iPhones and watches. It has this cool little looks like cursive writing. It says hello, and then it changes in different languages and always says hello. But that screen popping up on there was a little bittersweet because I know that was the the end of this the first computer we bought for Mel together um, with our money and we just can't afford to hang on to it so hopefully one of my personal finance goals for the next seven days is to unload this still functional and very lovely MacBook onto somebody else for a fee of course it's not going to be free <laughs> i'm not donating this thing but all of that jokes aside thank you again so much for listening i am glad that i tried to take on a semi-serious topic this time but not one that i had to yell and cuss about as much i always appreciate your feedback i appreciate your listens i'm up to 12 cents in money again that's super awesome for me um, I know it's not a lot. I don't actually get a payout until I hit $10. So the rate I'm going, maybe sometime in the next five years, I'll hit $10. Um, but before then, just know that it's great that you're here. And I appreciate you listening and uh, playing along. And hopefully the one ad that I throw in the middle of all of these isn't as horrible as I feel like it is most of the time. So... We will get on another episode at some point in the not-too-distant future. As always, though, to borrow a phrase from Bill and Ted, stay excellent to each other, and um, we'll see you real soon. All right? Thanks again for listening. Till the next time. Oh, hey, um, interesting postscript this time. Uh, in my last episode... I covered a uh, brief history of the NRA, 
which is hilarious because that's literally what it's called on their website. When you look up the history of the NRA, it's called a brief history of the NRA anyway. That's not the point. And I was talking about the gun violence episode. Um, I realized Mel was listening to that on the ride home. And that was today as I'm recording this episode. It was technically yesterday because it's later in the day, the next day. But anyway, um, and I was at work and I, I look at my watch and there's a text from her and the text from her just says, we are not naming our child Ambrose. And so I'm like, what is she talking about? We are not naming our child Ambrose. And so I don't think anything of it. And we start talking when, when she picks me up and you know, she sent me a whole bunch of other things And it literally says, we are not naming our kid Ambrose, you dick. My response is, wait, what? Because again, I'm at work. It's 830. I like, I don't know what she's talking about. Well, I apparently in that episode uh, referred to the NRA founder, um, the first president of the NRA. His name was Ambrose Burnside. Uh, He was a Civil War general. And I am, I apparently (laughs) refer to his name as like an American sounding name. And she thought that that was my way of saying, I wanted to name, if we have a son that we should name him Ambrose. And I'm like, I would not name a kid Ambrose. I, I think it sounds too close to Amber Rose personally. And there's a famous pro wrestler who does not use that name anymore that at one point was his last name in his wrestling persona was Ambrose. And I'm, I just thought the name sounded macho, but anyway, it just sounds very American. Um, thank you again for listening. I figured I'd give you a little bonus about how my wife and I interact when, when I'm not recording podcasts. Um, but thank you again. And Mel, I love you. Uh, Thank you for letting me poke at you in public because it always makes me laugh when uh, I just get random text messages from you because you're listening to my podcast and I have no idea what's going on and I'm at work and all I do is look down at my risk and I get told that we're not naming our kid Ambrose, you dick. So thank you guys. I'll see you again next week.